Welcome to another Scientology Fair Game podcast. So. Hi, Mikey. Hi, Lily. One day, one day, I'm going to write a little note for you that says, Welcome to this week's uh-huh. episode yes. of the Fair yes. Game podcast. And you yes. can just read yes. it. Yes. Because, you know, you're an actress, you can read lines. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> Oh, Having dear. to think for myself. That's odd. <laughs> All right. Hey, introduce our guest today, Mikey. Well, this is someone pretty special because we have not talked about this before. And in fact, there hasn't been a whole lot of discussion in in like mainstream media or uh, in the sort of world of Scientology of the subject that this person is uh, an expert on. His name is Dylan Gill, and he was formerly a staff member at the Church of Spiritual Technology, which we will go into a great length describing what that is and what it does and et cetera, et cetera. But it it is the the organization that was created to archive and preserve the works of L. Ron Hubbard for eternity. Listen, so I was, you know, considered a celebrity Scientologist, like part of the inner circle of the elite of the celeb. I didn't know, even know if this existed. Yeah, I know. Anyway, welcome, Dylan. Yes. Hi, Dylan. <laughs> Hello. Sorry, it took us a welcome. bit to get to you. <laughs> no worries. So, Dylan, just to go into a little bit of your history, you were uh, a kid, you were a child who got into Scientology at age 11. Your father was introduced to it by an uncle, correct? And then you went into the Sea Org, right, at 14? Yes. So you were handed over to the Scientology Sea Organization at 14. What was your life like before? What was it like joining the Sea Org? Well, my life prior is I was volunteering at a mission in Santa Cruz, like selling Dianetics door-to-door so I could in exchange for my classes um we got into it quite a bit earlier my grandfather was oh involved in the south lake tahoe mission and did classes so my whole family has kind of been involved and out and in and um, it's my uncle and father and aunt that um are still in and kind of pushing everything um but yeah so getting into the sea org was you know your typical um at that time the TTC was heavily being recruited for, which is the Technical Training Corps. And so they were sending out missions from FLAG to recruit as many people as possible. Um, that's kind of right when the basics came out, all the self-analysis. And instead of the original Hubbard Apprentice Scientologist course, it was the Success Through Communication course. Right. They were just changing the names and changing and, re- and reselling the same books with some minor changes um, in some of the courses, but basically, so, so you were recruited at 14 to go into the sewer. That's right. Yeah. But, but wait, I just got to go back to something. You were selling Dianetics door to door when you were like 11, 12, 13. Yeah. Yeah. They drop us off at apartment complexes and you just knock on doors and you'd have like (laughs) your quota was what you had. Like if they gave you three books, then you had to sell three books. Why is that? Why is that crazy to you, Mike? I just, I have yet to to hear from someone that young doing door to door book sale. 
I did OTTR zero <laughs> at, on the courthouse for Larry Wollesheim during the one thin dime march. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they had kids doing all sorts of crap in San Francisco. Well, they had kids doing all sorts of crap in every area of Scientology, whether you were a Sea Org member or not. Okay, so you then started living in a dorm, and your parents were basically uh, uh, ceased being your parents at that point, and the Sea Org became your primary caretaker. And you lived in a dorm, you had no no parental supervision, correct? Well, so when I got recruited and finally sent to the Sea Org, I was in San Francisco, and so it was my first plane flight was to Tampa, Florida, um, and I got in really late, obviously, you know, to get your stats. And um, so I got routed in to Flag Crew, which is the Estates Org. And there was this like 60-year-old guy on the EPF that they had recruited from the ship when they bought the Now, the the EPF, just everybody knows, is like a basic uh, training for people coming into the Sea Org. Yeah, boot camp. It's the Estates Project, of course, yeah. That's where you learn your staff statuses and you learn like how to be a Sea Org member. Yeah, so how to be a Sea Org member, Uh uh-huh. Yeah, so we got in, and yeah, it was pretty crazy. It was my first experience. Um, the, the lady in charge, or over HCO, or the personnel division, she was supposed to be my guardian. I'd never met her, um, and she, she ended up getting transferred somewhere. So I got picked up by the CMO, and then I got put into the Scientology Sea Org mix. <laughs> and I worked my <laughs> ass off at the FLB for about five years. Okay, so you you sort of started your formative years in the Sea Organization from when you were fourteen, and you were in Clearwater at the at what they call Flag, the the spiritual headquarters of Scientology, supposedly the mecca, the mecca of technical perfection. That's right. Um, but eventually, you got transferred to Los Angeles, and you by this time you were in the Commodore's Messenger Org, the people that. That was what I was part of. It was the organization that was based uh, originally was the people who ran messages for L. Ron Hubbard, but ultimately became sort of a senior organization in the hierarchy of Scientology. An observation and execution arm, right? Right. But somehow then you ended up going from the Commodore's Messenger Org in Los Angeles to what now is called. Church of Spiritual Technology or CST or the Archives Project. It's got various names and terms that are used to describe it. How did that happen? Um, well, there was a bunch of um, in, like international personnel procurement missions done to yep. man up people up at the int base. And I had done a, a majority of those in Florida. And when it came time to man up LRH archives, there were no qualified people um, at the time. And, and the qualifications for the, the archives project or LRH archives or CST were exceedingly high. I, I'm, I'm very well aware of this was the most confidential, considered the most important thing that was happening in, in Scientology and would happen in Scientology forever. And so you had to be like the perfect Scientologist. Very few people qualified to be put into Church of Spiritual Technology who 
had not been raised as Scientologists, in fact, because that's almost the only way of guaranteeing you don't have a drug history, you don't have a criminal history, you don't have a this, you know, all these things that are requirements for that, right? Right. Um, not only that, they took your production record and, and your, your time in the Sea Org into account as well. Um, right. That's why they took myself and my um, wife at the time, and we were both in the personnel division of our Commodore's Messenger Org. Right. There was only four people, and they took two of them out to send them to... Because there's just nobody qualified. The only people qualified were like COB, COB assistant, a few people in RT and religious technology center. Sorry, I used a bunch of words. Um, um, and yeah, it was really hard to find people. And even then, my process took like almost eight months to complete. Sec checking on the e-meter, interrogation on the e-meter to make yeah, sure. Yeah, Mike Gilchrist and I became really good friends. Right. Make sure you're not a spy, not a government agent, not a reporter. I mean, these things go on forever. And, but ultimately, you made it through that and then you were sent up to CST. And when I say up to, that's because the headquarters of CST is located in San Bernardino County at the top or near the top of the San Bernardino Mountain and near up there near Lake Arrowhead. So, why don't you describe what it was like when you went up there and what that property is like? Because we're going to talk about that. What is it, Dylan? What is CST? Um, it's a it's a pretty much like a library. Like remember, LRH said that he wanted to stamp his name into history. Uh huh. That's CST. In a, in a nutshell. Okay, so see it. Yeah, yeah. So CST is a location, like Mike said, up in. San Bernardino Mountains, Lake Arrowhead area, right, Mike? Is that what you yep. said? Yep, yep. And it's it's a it's a private secret location where the most trusted of Sea Org members are putting L. Ron Hubbard's works into titanium plates in the ground. Is that what's <laughs> happening there? Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, no, but what they did was. Um, as a little background, that project started, the, the LRH Archives project started in around 1984 as a mission, as like um, four or five people to go on it for long term, or what they call like a garrison mission. What does that mean? What is garrison mission? It means long term. It, it's it's uh, a military term, you know. Okay. Okay. Um, so it meant like a long term mission that you're basically not coming back from. You're not going back on your old post. You're going to be doing that for the foreseeable future um so when it started they incorporated it um and i've done a little research afterwards but i'll I'll go into it later it started as just a project to preserve all the technology so they started going around and trying to find all the masters and all the originals and everything they could find at every base every um order of the day every um flag order Every every ship order, every everything. It's all of LRH's writings and 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 speeches and, and find all the that. originals and copy okay. all of those. And the hardest part, honestly, with all that was the um, recordings, um, the real to real recordings. It was really hard to find original masters. They found um, many second and third copies, but never a lot of them. We never found the original master. 
but but the mission is to 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 put all of this work his his works into uh, these titanium plates to preserve them uh, so that people can find them when this when like if there's a there's Armageddon there's a apocalypse whatever the fuck uh, people right. are thinking but but basically this is so that other uh, life forms you know uh, the next whatever will find these teachings of L. Ron Hubbard and continue Scientology. Right, that's kind of what the symbols are about. That's why. And uh, why don't you tell us what's that? What are the symbols? Uh, well, they're infinity loop, and there's the ARC KRC triangle in both of them. So you're saying there's a a, a symbol of, of that Scientology related is where? Like what? What? Where is that symbol? Oh, they're in. Um, there's not one at the the Lake Arrowhead base, but there's one in the New Mexico. There's a base in New Mexico that's just to house. All the works of L. Ron Hubbard. Okay. So it's it's a underground vault, or this one's a vault in a mountain. Oh, so there's several vaults. So there, it's being kept in yeah. several locations. That yes, there, yeah. Well, why is that? What's the theory behind that? So that there would be multiple places to come back to, kind of like why you have a library in each town, I guess, to ensure that that the technology is preserved. So if you had it one place and that's where a meteor hit, then it's all gone. So redundancy is kind of was the idea behind that. Um, so all the bases are set up the same. And now these symbols that you're talking about, this is in, uh, so the symbol is uh, where? Where is the symbol? In New Mexico, it's right on, it's right by an, like the runway that was made. And it's just a huge, you can't really see it from the ground. You have to be in the air to see it. Mm-hmm. So the idea would be if like spirits or if Thetans were coming back, they could, they would know that symbol is like a safe, peaceful place, and they would be gravitated to it and then have the technology to restart mankind. It wasn't for LRH to come back and be like, oh, there's my symbol. I should come here, which is kind of what. Well, thank you stuff. for clarifying that because now it yeah, just right. sounds so much more sane. Right. It did at the time. I just, I just want to be clear. I just want, no, Dylan, I know. <laughs> Believe me, I know. I, I just want to be clear, like there was a moment of silence because what you just said, the last thing that you said is so that spirits of Scientology, so we've all died in, the, in these current bodies, that our spirits will be able to see the symbols from the sky. So it's not like we're in an airplane. We're literally not in bodies. So that, and we will see the symbols and know that Scientology is there so we could forward Scientology's important work. I guess you could also be in bodies. I mean, you know, if that happens. But yeah, you'd have to see it from the air. So you'd have to be. I understood. I understood. No, the other thing with CST is that there is a protocol for LRH to return to the main base in Lake Arrowhead. And what is that? And that's how it's set up. Well, he's supposed to come to the gates and walk in. (laughs) I seriously would wait for him while I was on post, like on on guard duty um, at the main gate. Uh-huh. thinking that maybe some kid would show up around 10 or 11 or like, and we were ready. We were totally ready for him. And, 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 and I know Mike and I, we, we've talked about this before. Um, Scientology, uh, certainly CST, the one up in Arrowhead and the one in, in there's another one, right? Um, New Mexico. There's in um, New Mexico. In and then they bought like the Lady Washington mine in Central California. And then Creston would be another one and also in California. Okay, so there's all these locations that are 
secret locations that even Scientologists don't know, Sea Org members don't even know about. Right. And these locations are supposed to preserve the works of L. Ron Hubbard. And also, you're, they're also providing houses for L. Ron Hubbard at these locations that people put his pajamas out every night, put them back every clean, maintaining. This is all tax exempt money at work. Right. Yeah. So now, did you have any protocols when it came to if a 10 or 11 year old? kid walked up to the gates was there anything were you guys told like well so these are things we need to verify or just let him in well i didn't think it'd be i imagine he would have shown up with like somebody i would have known from like international like see it you know church of scientology international or something uh-huh. like, right right i would right. hope it wouldn't be just him like it would okay. be like gary or something or i don't know but yeah it was always it wasn't this the advices for cst really didn't cover it they just they covered that we set it up to have an infrastructure for LRH when he returned. So his houses are built to have a, a full complement of staff. Um, there's an international exec log cabin on the main base for all the um, watchdog committee members or whoever at the time, IGs, I guess, right, inspector generals at the time, would be able to stay there and be available um, for him. And that's set up on the main base, but not really on the external bases. Uh, the external bases are set up kind of like an org would be where it's like just imagine it as a big like organization where that's his office right is <laughs> this extravagant seven thousand square foot house in the middle of new mexico is his office and that's and that's just one well that's just one place yeah yeah, yeah. let me just back up a bit because i i just want to make sure everybody has a like a, the big picture yeah. of what cst is hubbard left the vast majority of his fortune to CST, but the condition was that it had to be tax exempt. And that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing. But he also left CST, basically the ownership of all his materials so that they would have a revenue stream because he considered that CST above and beyond everything else was going to be his permanent uh, memorial, permanent uh, legacy. record of what legacy? That's the exact word. His permanent legacy, and and you know we we've sort of you you mentioned you know like stuff on titanium plates and this and that. The truth of the matter is, as Dylan said, that there has been an enormous amount of money and time and effort expended to gather together every single word that L. Ron Hubbard ever said or ever wrote in any form, anywhere, in like the links that 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 has been gone to to collect all this stuff is phenomenal. That then has all been taken and preserved in what is considered to be as close as indestructible format as you can get. In fact, like the writings of Hubbard are etched onto stainless steel plates that are then sealed in titanium containers that are filled with argon, inert argon gas that are covered in shields made out of the same material used on the space shuttle heat shields. and buried in vaults that are dug into the ground, nuclear bomb-proof vaults with, like, 
the 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 gold CDs of his lectures covered in glass and nickel plated LPs and like all of this stuff so that his great works and research and writings will be preserved for literally eternity. And this was and is the single most important thing that happens in Scientology. I mean, you can you can put aside everything else as to relative importance in Scientology. This is the most important thing that gets done and happens, and it remains that way today. And there are five of these locations that have been. There was actually to be six, another one in Wyoming, Wyoming but that one yeah. got shut down by the local people who did not like, you know, they, they spent $20 million. Out. They spent $20 million getting this property and starting to do what they were going to do and then got shut down. So, but there are these properties and they have <laughs> these vaults in them. And as Dylan says, the redundant copies, this is so ridiculous. These things cost huge amounts of money to manufacture. It's not like you do it and it's just, uh, you know, we're printing a book or two. And every time Miscavige modifies or updates the materials of Dianetics and Scientology, it all has to be redone. Wow. <laughs> like, you think about the cost of this stuff... That's what I was saying, Mike. Is this all, like, why they have tax exemption is to be spending the millions and millions of dollars on this? Well, it, it, this, I, I mean, I, I'm what do you describing think like this, this cost, Mike. It's insane. Well, Dylan, what do you think it costs? I mean, I know you left before a lot of this stuff actually got rolling, but you must have some idea of how much the properties. Well, we finished. So when I left, uh, Petrola was almost completed. Uh, the vault was completed. When I left, Trementina was completely done. Uh, Lake Arrowhead was almost done. Um, our new production building cost like $14 million. The LRH house was like $3 million. We had two full-time engineers, retired engineers on the base for any time OSHA showed up. Anytime the inspectors, anytime permitting, we had two full-time engineers on the payroll that would laugh every Thursday. I'd pay them. And I was 18 years old. Not paying. They would just laugh and be like, how did you get in this position? Like, how did you, how are you running all these products? Because we were doing the LRH house, the vaults at Lake Arrowhead, and then the new production building. Because prior to this, all the production and all the archiving was being done in the old squirrel in, um, hotel basically and um the squirrel inn is the property that was purchased by cst up at lake arrowhead so the irony isn't kind of lost but what what does that mean is that like a scientology term no no it was the name of the property property. oh that's funny like gilman hot springs the fort harrison hotel it was the squirrel inn (laughs) <laughs> I got you. Hey, I, I have a question for you. Uh, so what was the purpose of having uh, these people there for OSHA? What You mentioned that. What? 
Oh, just for permitting and, and getting like, so with like the way CST is set up in like Arrowhead is there's microwaves set up from INT to CST. So if LRH does come back, they can communicate under the radar without like direct communication. So they don't have cell towers. They don't go through anything. This has been thought about. They're, we were putting in fiber optic in like 1989. Right. Like that wasn't even a thing then. It was just future. We put it in. We right. did heated pathways. Like it was kind of the, they're set up to be like little museums, little places. The only base that's actually um, supposed to be active is the Lake Arrowhead one. The rest are only supposed to have caretakers on them. And they're supposed to just be a closed library, basically. Right. And this is, uh, just to remind everybody, this is where um, Tony Ortega and, and other report people have reported that this is where Shelley Miscavige might be, is at CST. Um, because at, at the headquarters of CST. Yes. Yeah, yeah. sorry. At yeah. the headquarters of CST. And uh, nobody can get to it. You can't walk up to the gate. You can't ring a bell. You can't nothing. Oh, you can't even drive past without the PIs that live permanently across the street coming out. That's where, I, that's where the whole staff used to live. We used to live across the street right there. I used to play music in that yeah, where he came out. We used to play music yeah. in the basement that first time. Oh, I didn't know you lived there. I thought you yeah. all lived on the property. No, that was, your, that was the plan. But um, while we were doing the, um, the little cabanas and stuff, we yeah. all lived in those houses. But that was the oh, plan was to move on base. Yeah. Okay. So. Let's get back to L. Ron Hubbard. So the plan was that he would come back uh, reincarnated um, to take over Scientology, but this is one of these locations is where he was going to be raised back to, to, to run Scientology. Yeah, well, per the, the CST advices were all uh-huh. signed with four X's, uh-huh. which meant LRH, but uh-huh. there was no actual like real signatures. So it was, it was like, the author services international advices they were also that way um but what are, what are, what are, what are advices and what did they say um advices are basically what lrh or command intention wanted for that organization and what their vision was and uh, advices advices just to clarify yeah this is just a term that was used to uh like a euphemism to describe orders from L. Ron Hubbard. Okay. When Hubbard was trying to avoid the IRS and subpoenas from civil lawyers and the FBI, et cetera, et cetera, he distanced himself from running the organization because the organization or organizations of Scientology yeah. were avenues to get to him. Okay. So this, this fiction started that Orders from Hubbard were now to be called advices. Advice. Oh, and that's great. He yeah, never signed them with his name, Love Ron. It was always Love Asterisk or Love XXX. Not even or, L, not even Love, but uh, L. Ron Hubbard founder underneath, right? So he wasn't signing that anymore. No, that, none of those. So these yeah. things all look like hand-typed pieces like of paper. Like mm-hmm. th- that, that just have no signature. They often have uh, addressed to Big P with uh, CC to, uh, you know, like these random weird names. Like, 
things that the insiders understood and knew what it was, but any outsider looking at it would go, I don't know what this is. So what did, what did they say? They're, they talked about everything. I mean, they went from, here's what you do about the state of uh, this organization in Buffalo to this is what I want done with my, the manuscript of my new book to mm-hmm. here is how you're supposed to preserve my uh, writings to this is what I want done with David Mayo and he needs to be declared a suppressive person to anything. Like it was mm-hmm. just, it was, if you look back and Leah and look at, you know, all those big green volumes and red volumes and all the rambling writings that are contained in there about everything and anything, it was no different. It's just, they were now put into a different form and called advices. Right. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to know if they were, there were any advices about what to do about Elward Hubbard's return or, but he never forced, he didn't foresee his death. So I don't. Right. And that's where like the advices kind of became a questionable. I mean, that's where like my cognitive dissonance started yeah. when I kind of read those, when they're like, you know, what you were before in the Sea Org is no longer relevant, and now what you're doing is extremely relevant. Right. Did that start you on a path of, like, uh, that started your questioning it, or were there other things? Uh, well, you know, one out point. What, one? One? One out point. <laughs> one is enough to do an investigation. No, I spring, know. Right? Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So yes. that's where, for me, I was kind of, really good at admin so yeah um i dealt with shelly a lot that's how i got rpf um and sent on the rpf's rpf was because i i told shelly that she would be declared or put on the rpf if lrh was there because i was the messenger and i knew the policy <laughs> which was really stupid in hindsight so you worked side by side with shelly and and dm I, I i did um his weekly reports went directly from or my weekly reports went directly through ASI to him every week. Okay. And uh-huh. ASI Michael, is remember, do you remember the two suitcases that were always around? Yeah. Two big suitcases that nobody knew what was inside. I that was me. That was my stuff. <laughs> okay. Let, let's back up a bit here. Okay. Author services is what was called the literary agency of L. Ron Hubbard. And it was created as a for-profit organization, again, as a sort of a cutout to try and distance Hubbard from Scientology. Right. He created this thing that he called Author Services, which was his literary agency, except it was manned exclusively by Sea Org members. Right. And those Sea Org members including David Miscavige, who was the boss of author services, and Norman Starkey, were... Trustee. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But, but they were controlling Scientology and everybody's weekly reports to L. Ron Hubbard, et cetera, et cetera, all had to go to author services and be forwarded by David Miscavige through Pat Broker to L. Ron Hubbard. So, this was a sort of a cutout system, but there's another thing about author services, which was it was the income generator for L. Run Hubbard at that period. At that time, so they collected royalties, they forced, 
they forced orgs to stock up with books that ended up in their basement or thrown in the garbage because those things resulted in royalties coming to L. Ron Hubbard. They sold all the fiction rights. They sold the rights to the the movie scripts and shit that he was writing to the Church of Scientology for enormous sums. Do you remember the gold-plated Dianetics books that were yes. put out, like hardbound, leatherbound? Those were specifically to go to CST. That's what, that's where they're saying for the archival project. So you would have, if you think back or ask your mom or, or people that were around it then, they were very overt about like the, the archival project and you need to right, buy right, this right. gold cover. And so that yes. was CST. And that right. would have been right around the mid 80s that they started, like maybe 87 ish, where they started pushing it real hard and mm -hmm. doing, but nobody in the Sea Org would have known, like nobody at Int. I had to wear a different uniform at CST than I did at Int. So when I went right. to the international base, I had to put on my Sea Org uniform. And when I was at the Church of Spiritual Technology, I wore, the church of spiritual technology right like you wouldn't wear that to gold because people at gold would be like hey what the fuck is that right 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 yeah. you who are you right right, right. <laughs> exactly. and then you you and you couldn't tell even seal members up at gold which was another confidential I even tell security when i was coming i was like yeah, i'll be there between like 1 30 and 4 30 right right <laughs> because they couldn't know how far away it was right oh like, that makes sense i mean this right. stuff is this stuff is crazy and Leah. here's what's so in let me, but let me ask you a question mike and and uh, it it there's nothing confident i mean like people know and, and have to read these policies and books so why such secrecy about where they're located or among scientologists and sea org members that's not like you know i understand the confidential levels of scientology being but but why such secret secrecy if these are things that people have to read and, and they see every day in Scientology? Narcissistic control. Um, <laughs> right. That's a good answer. <laughs> That's a very good answer. But also, just let me add one other yeah. thing. The view in Scientology is always that if you have something important, don't tell anybody that doesn't need to know. Because that could result in, I don't know, protesters showing up or the FBI showing up or someone ratting you out for something in some way. This is the, the mindset that uh -huh. is, exists in Scientology. It goes right. all the way back to the days of the Apollo. We're not Scientology. L. Ron Hubbard has LRH on the funnel of the Apollo, but nobody's supposed to know that he's there. Right. Like, this, this and a Sea Org symbol. Yeah, this yeah. irrational sort of we have to be secret about everything. It just sort of runs in the DNA of of particularly the Sea Org, particularly well, the Sea Org. Yeah, it's it's yeah. called a shore story. That's how it started. Right. Was exactly where you just, just you were there. It described as a shore. That's what CST did. Is we had our shore story. Anybody that we went to in the local towns. Oh, what we're just doing our, you know, like we had our short story. We didn't say, oh, we're the Church of Art, like Scientology or Sea Org. We were the Church of Spiritual Technology. And we're right. just archiving religious works. And that was our short story. And we just kept right. it real clean. And that's right. how they went into New Mexico and same. It was just, you go in, it's right out of the art of war, honestly, is you appear small when you're big and then you're, you don't draw as much attention and, and, 
There you go. You're small when you're big. Wow, that's interesting. I learned that. And appear, and appear big <laughs> when you're small. Right, right, right. right. Exactly. Interesting. The art of War is a big part of Scientology. Oh, yeah, Hubbard yeah, had a lot to say about the art of war. A yeah. lot. But but let me just let me just back up to something else I wanted to say too. When Dylan was talking about these gold leaf editions yeah. of Dianetics and you know all those crazy um paintings by Frank Frazetta and all of these other things that were being done to fundraise, that money was being used to fund the archives project. The reason for that was the money from Hubbard's estate, you know, the $400 million or whatever it was, could not be transferred to fund CST until they had tax exemption. And that did not happen until 1993. But Hubbard died and all of this stuff was this was his fondest wish. This was the most important thing to be done. So mm -hmm. somehow or another, money had to be generated to carry out these things until such time as the tax exemption could be gotten. And then the funding, the real funding source for CST would become available, which was Hubbard's estate, which he didn't mm. give to his kids. He didn't give to his wife. He didn't give to anybody. It all was supposed to go to CST. So they're all still being taken care of. Who? Arthur, Suzette, they still get paid. Uh, sure. a, yeah. tiny yeah, a, a, a tiny amount. In comparison to what they could, by the way, rightfully take uh, even oh, sure, today yeah, yeah. and should have inherited. Right. Oh, I, and, and, the, and, yeah. and why they get paid monthly like this is so that Scientology can control them and they don't speak out and they don't take over Scientology, which, again, I think they should. Absolutely. Right. right with you. Yeah. <laughs> but but then I also want to make another larger point about the, this picture of CST and its mm -hmm. importance. I said earlier they basically had the rights to all of the Hubbard library, mm -hmm. all of his materials. They in turn um, granted RTC uh the david miscavige's organization yes the mm -hmm. advanced technology and the trademarks of scientology okay but have the right to take them back for a hundred dollars if certain conditions are met and mm -hmm. they allow the church of scientology international to license the copyrighted material mm -hmm. to the world and but those are their the they become also the revenue streams for CST. But yeah. in the end, CST is the top of the Scientology pinnacle. It is not uh -huh. Religious Technology Center, which is David Miscavige's organization. It is CST. Yeah. CST is the, 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 the end of the road when it comes to Scientology. Uh -huh. However... And, you know, I'm not going to go into all the details of these structures, but it was, it was actually a pretty clever system that was put in place between these three organizations, Church of Scientology International, Religious Technology, and CST, sort of being able to cross-police one another. You had to be in good standing with CSI and, you know, like all this bullshit. But that all went out the window when David Miscavige took over. And ultimately, he took the head of CST, a guy by the name of Russ Bellin, uh -huh. and put him in the hole, along with Tom Vorm 
and a couple of other people that were the senior executives of CST just to sort of make the point of, I don't give a shit what the paper says. I'm the boss. I run, I run the show in Scientology. So he runs it all. So he runs everything. Yes. Yeah. Russ was my, my commanding officer and, and Tom Vorm I knew quite well. Also, Jim Isaacson was another senior exec that was there. My understanding, and this ties to Shelley, is mm-hmm. when Russ got called down on a mission after Shelley had reorged the new organization and everything, and Tom Vorm also got called down, and they ultimately failed the mission, and they got sent to the hole, which left a huge opening in CST. Um, so the only people that were there at the time that could have taken over those positions were not like, would be Jane McNairn, who was their port captain, who's also a member of the board in to the church of Scientology or church of, um, spiritual technology. And then Sarah Bell and his wife, who was of course soup. Um, so there wasn't really anybody there to take over CST with. Tom Vorm and Russ Bellin being in there. Jim Isaacson was already 80 something years old. Um, his wife, Joyce was up there as well as I believe. So there was a time where after Shelly would have done her lowers and all that, um, that it would have been pretty logical for her to go up there because she was fully cleared. She was our only terminal besides DM who micromanaged the crap out of everything on that base what was that knew everything so she would have been the likely person that would have gone up there and jb later said that uh which was john Burso, um said that he saw communication and and uh mail going up there she didn't go up there to take over sarah took over sarah bellin took over cst shelly was sent up there with a sec checker a full-time sec checker uh antonella tc as a place to put her out of sight and out of mind. And and why is that, Mike? Why why was Shelly put there? Uh, and, and we're just we're assuming she's still alive. We're assuming that's where she is. But th- this is all things that we've been told from people who, like you said, saw communications and people who were actually there. But right. Um, so we're assuming that. This is still true, but why would she have been put there in the first place? Because she was uh, becoming increasingly disaffected with her husband and his uh, style. Yeah, his style yeah. of of managing and controlling things, and she had ultimately stepped in to try and, as as Dylan just mentioned, there was this. There was this project that had been going on for years of, quote, reorganizing international management that Miscavige had ordered be done uh, like a, repeatedly, and a dozen people had tried, and every one of them had failed, and every one of them had ended up in a miserable place, uh, ultimately in the hole, but before that, they'd all gotten busted. They were, they, they were I mean... This was just like a death wish to get assigned to do this management reorganization. And in the end, Shelly took over to get it done. Uh And she failed just as miserably as everybody else. And I know for a fact 
that she was was beside herself trying to figure out how to satisfy the whims of Dave. Like he would say one day, this needs to be done. She would do that. And then the next day he'd say, oh, what the fuck did you do that for? Or this person should be the int finance director. And she'd say, okay, well, I've put his name down to be the int finance director. And then the next day would be, you put Wendell Reynolds as the int finance director? What are you, an SP? So the woman has not been seen in 15 years. Well, she was seen once at a funeral. Well, we don't know that that's for sure. I heard she was seen at Starbucks or something. Right. Okay. Uh, That that we don't know, but she was at a funeral. Yeah, but Shelly Miscavige is not going to be, because she can be picked up and subpoenaed and served, and that's not going to happen. And the only other thing I would add would would be two small things, is she is an incredible resource. Um, and CST, as we talked about in the beginning, uh, it's extremely hard to find qualified people. Trust me, like she was qualified. If we could have replaced her at her job, we, we would have tried to bring her up to CST because that's everybody yeah. was fair. Like we, everybody's fair game at, at, at the international headquarters. That's where we yeah. pulled from was like mostly and most of them weren't qualified. So right, I don't. think this is a real, real job. But uh, you know, to be talking about Shelley being qualified or not qualified, or anybody, so you know, all in the I would say is, is that yeah, once you're yeah. done with your conditions, you're done, and you're a Sea Org. Like this whole idea and consideration of marriage. Um, if she's healthy and she's alive, she's on post yeah. somewhere. That would be my. Guess. That's my two cents. Bill and Gil. <laughs> I. I I would actually agree with you about that. Yeah, yeah. listen, I hope she is uh, alive and, and well. So let's discuss, so you, we were talking about uh, you, you eventually, after being in the Sea Org for how many years, decided you didn't want to be there anymore. How long were you there for before you started thinking that? Oh, I was in seven years. Okay, so so after seven years, you decide, and why? What was it? What was the thing that started the... So my wife was the head of personnel at, at the Church of Spiritual Technology. Uh-huh. And she went a year without getting any statistics. Nobody to the base, like no new people to the base. And finally, they brought her down, Shelly, brought her down to RTC to work under her in under cob assistant or under her um and eight months went by and no communication didn't hear from i sent birthday cards i sent anniversary like you know just normal stuff and i didn't get anything from her i got nothing back and then i ended up getting sent down to the deck and or to matthew messed work like physical labor um and get security checked for a while interrogated yeah and because i false reported my uh square paces stat which is a stat that covers um all the areas of the of your base like so if your front porch is counted as like a clean space um you say okay that's that's how many paces it takes like it's a 10 by 10 it's 100 square paces um but the somebody has to inspect it and say yes that's true and then give you the stat either way i got 
sent down to do mest work. Um, and I knew that my wife was there and she was at the base and I was at Happy Valley. Um, they kept us away from everyone because we were CST staff and we weren't allowed to talk or look at or do anything with anyone because we were out security. And it was then that I kind of started questioning everything because I knew policy. It's a suppressive act to, to withhold communication. And there was no ill intent. We weren't plotting. We were just saying, I love you. Happy anniversary. And right. um, after not having seen each other for eight months. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a long time. It really sucked. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I saw her, I, well, I originated, I wanted to leave because I knew that the leaving staff routing form, the purpose of it is to keep you as a staff member, but you get on the system. So things start happening. Yeah. Cause I was in personnel, like most of my career, the Sea Org. So they refused and just made me write up overts and withhold and be more sexual. You mean, you mean your ch transgressions and then more interrogations, right? Yes. That everything I did wrong and every bad thought I've ever had against the church and everything uh -huh. for like uh -huh. a month or two. I was sleeping under the um, ethics person that was in the RP. I was, I lived under their desk. That was my spot. So you weren't I even was, given a bed? No, because I was a pretty big security risk at that time. Um, and then I saw oh, that, my that, that justifies okay right Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well it did kind of um, okay and I don't blame Jackson and PK right like, <laughs> um, well no you blame the thinking in a cult for the way that they think is okay to treat its members consistently yeah, I, yeah it was so yeah I saw my wife and she told me to get through it and to stay on it so I I rededicated myself and then she was made to write a knowledge report on me that I originated communication to her. And I don't know, it just hit, it hit hard and it hit different. And I yeah. realized that she loved Scientology more than she loved me. I mean, that's not abnormal. Yeah. The next night I got up in the middle of the night and I ran down the river and went to Hemet and got chased by gold security and ended up on a Greyhound bus and they never caught me. <laughs> yeah, so so you just so you escaped. I mean, I'm sure they've taken uh, precautions now for that to never happen again. Yeah, all the stuff location. you've heard about security was yeah. probably because of people like me. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's a you're exactly <laughs> right about that. And and that property, by the way, you Dylan mentioned Happy Valley. Mm -hmm. Happy Valley is the name of another property that was like seven miles away from Gilman Hot Springs, back behind an Indian reservation, the Saboba Indian Reservation. And it was an old, uh, like it used to be like some sort of a, a retreat for kids or something. And it was called Happy Valley. That was the name that it had before we purchased the property. That is where the kids of the, the Sea Org members at the Int base lived. And mm -hmm. it is where people like Dylan and Vicky and Richard Asneran or people who were like too hot, too, too much of a mm -hmm. big uh, threat to even be at the Int base were kept. And because it was seven miles down like a dirt road, it, it was considered that there wasn't much chance that anybody could escape from there. Uh, Dylan did, a couple of other people did, and ultimately that property was gotten rid of, and a lot more security measures were implemented after that had happened too. 
There are a couple of things that I'm still really interested in asking Dylan while we have the opportunity. Like, I'm one of the few people also that has actually been to that CST property. I had Mm -hmm. to go there with the lawyers when we were trying to gain tax-exempt status for CST Mm -hmm. in order to inspect and see what was really going on there and blah, 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 and I got a tour and blah, blah. But I haven't been to any of the other properties. And I and I don't know. I have been inside the Hubbard Mansion that was built at the Int base called Bonnie View, which is like the ultimate. That's like the big the big daddy of Hubbard homes. But I am interested to hear like what because I know Dylan has been. He's the only person I know that's been to inside the base at Tremontina, who's been to mm-hmm. Petrolia, who's been to Tuolumne. What, what are those, what's the inside of those houses like, Dylan? Um, well, the other H house at uh, the Twin Peaks, well, you went in that one, so you saw that. Um, yeah, it was, that was like the, every, every house was built to its motif, like surroundings. Like, so the one right. in New Mexico has Spanish tile laden sand and like special sand was brought in that they use on golf course bunkers to lay all the special, you know, Spanish tile. So it's actually laid on. It was just like a lot of, I spent a lot of time in the household unit, um, which is kind of what L Ron Hubbard put together. Meaning like this is everything that he expected to have in a home. And this is how you take care of it. This is how you wash clothes. This is how you, do everything basically and that's right. how we built all the homes um and the one in new mexico it really is just um like a good example is we used an architect firm out of santa fe and they would have like custom log furniture built and they'd mm-hmm. load it up in a um u-haul i would fly down there and then drive back to the base and we'd put it all in the that's what how the exec log cabin got furnished so it was like all custom handmade furniture, all like hand-hewn logs. In New Mexico, it's all adobe, it's all Spanish tile. So it's all like to fit the area mm-hmm. that right. they're in. Yeah. And, and these houses were built with the idea that Hubbard would occupy them. They are not built as just um, a museum. No, we... Um, yeah, we put we did a deal with Caterpillar, the generator company for the New Mexico. It was like almost two million dollars to get that place is set up that if there's ever any power goes out, there's generators for every building, including the LRH house. If you look at the satellite, there's the big LRH house, and then there's a little building just to the right. That's a generator. That's like a three kilowatt generator <laughs> in that place. So it's yeah, it's set up for functionality. Absolutely. Right. Right, right, right. And, well, and after I Target too, right? You know, you might come back. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I, I think that this is just a, an important point to make. Like this idea that that Scientologists believe that L. Ron Hubbard is returning somehow is not just a, a sort of a fantasy. This was this was put into reality, but he hasn't showed up. Like it's yeah, I was gonna say that. That is anybody wondering where he is, because he's late. Secretly, 
I'm sure, but nobody's going to say it out loud. Because let me just say this to everybody. Uh, when you sign a C-Org contract, you know, you sign this billion-year contract. Yes, it's, you know, comical. But um, when you sign that contract, as I signed it, as Mike signed it, you know, Dylan signed it, you know, you believe that you, you know, when you die, you're going to be reborn into another Scientology family and you're going to continue the work of Scientology. That is the idea, that it's not maybe just this lifetime that you're going to serve the Sea Organization. And as a matter of fact, this is what they sell to us. Like, as children, they say, you know, you came back. Like, at very early age, they tell you this. Like, well done being born into a Scientology family, Leah. Do you know how, like, OT that is of you? and that that is? <laughs> Yeah, like you are like a totally like you're OT, Leah, which is like a confidential, you know, that means that I'm operating as a spiritual at cause spiritual being. And, you know, when you're told that as a kid, like you're special, you know, that, wow, maybe I did that. You know, that's very powerful to say to children. And that is what they're saying to children today to get them to join the Sea Org. This is what they say to their Scientology parents to get their kids to, to turn their kids over to Scientology Sea Org. They go, you know, how able is your kid? Like, what, what other game is your kid going to play? Being a doctor? Like, right. get the fuck out of here. Like, there's no more important mission in life than to join the Sea Org and serve the Sea Org. And so uh, when you sign these, um, these contracts and you, you die, um, L. Ron Hubbard has granted that... Scientologist or Sea Org member, 21, is it 21? Yes. 21 years of a leave of, of, of absence. So you're okay to take an LOA until you're 21. You have to return, report back to the Sea Org. And um, no one's really kind of holding L. Ron Hubbard to this because uh, it's been how many fucking years now? So all I would say as a Sea Org member when that happened was he went and Per that, this is what I believe, but this is what I, I believed at the time was that he went intentionally to Target too. So then he's busy doing his shit, and we're supposed to keep. And what's the motto of a Sea Org? We come back, come back, right? Yeah. So that's the whole idea is that we're supposed to stay on. And what you said is exactly it. That's why I joined to make the world a better place. Yeah. To have a purpose, and yes. to be around other people that have a purpose to make a world a better place. And yeah. You know, you throw a little big league sales in there and no kid has a chance. Like, really? <laughs> and, and, you, and you have parents that are willing to give you up and say, go, go do this. And they give you up. They give up parental rights to you. Yep. You virtually never see them again. And if a Scientology parent says, hey, I don't know if I was okay with not seeing, then that parent's pulled in. That parent is interrogated. That parent is punished for having the balls and the audacity to ask about their children who are fulfilling this greater mission in life and how dare they act like their fucking parents. Like this is right. the same response you get when you ask about a missing person in Scientology. That's the response that I got. Like who, how fucking dare you ask about Shelly Miscavige? And, um, and I was penalized for it and they continue to not answer the question. Um, and they won't answer the question uh, right. regardless of what they continue to put out that the LAPD dismissed uh, my missing persons or that, that that's just simply not true. The LAPD right. never answered me. Right. 
Anyway, okay, so but so when you left and escaped, where did you go? Did you have family that were willing to take you in? Uh, no, not really. My aunt did for a, a short amount of time for like a week or two. Uh-huh. Um, and then my dad kind of got in ho- a hold of her. And that's kind of when the church, that's when I got my declare. Uh, that's when they were sending them. Um, so at that point, I was kind of, so you got labeled an enemy. Right. Yeah. Well, and I guess when you leave the ant base the way I did, <laughs> you're not welcome to come back ever. You're not welcome to come back no matter what you do. I would. Uh, I probably yeah. would have. I would have at one point. Well, not if you left the Sea Org. Even if you routed out, you would be considered, you know, you would still have this. Uh, no one leaves these international bases unscathed. Right. Um, yeah, but so you, so you eventually obviously had somebody to help you, right? No. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I did become homeless for a couple of years. Uh, I lived, I slept under bridges. I slept on wherever I could, you know, really. So your parents wouldn't take you in because you were now an enemy to Scientology? My dad is a, was a teacher at Delphi. Right. So he, they wouldn't take you in because he would, because <laughs> he was, he he would lose his job at a Scientology school, right? And right. your mom, I'm sorry, I didn't ask about your mom. Uh, she passed away. So sorry. she's she's not alive, but she was never involved. My dad, um, they got divorced, and but she's um, not with us. And other than that, no, I I kind of did it all myself. Um, I I was I ended up um in. Uh, San Luis Obispo, and um, I matriculated into Cuesta College. Once I got in kind of the, the university system for California, they sort of took me under their wing a little bit, and I was able to mm-hmm. sort of, I actually rented out a closet <laughs> for the first time. Uh, it was a walk-in closet. So it was kind of nice. <laughs> um, and then I ended up sharing a room. And, um, and you built yourself a life. From from literally being homeless, yeah, somewhat argue, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I'm still alive, so. God well, you have two two children. You're. I right? do. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're they're the age that I got recruited to the Org. It's not lost on me. Could you imagine um, sending those two beautiful no, children of yours? No, not even Exactly. Well, I'm but glad yeah, to see hard. you've made it out, Dylan, yeah. the way you have, and and that you've become what you've become. I mean, I hope you're proud of yourself. And it's a little bit rougher with that, but I, I hear you and I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, listen, you know, Mike and I are always available to talk. If we're always here. I have, I speak too much Scientologies and I'm too, it was too much my formative years. It just, it burned into me. So, um, no, no, no. We all talk Scientologies, especially when we get <laughs> together, you know, we, we talk in this shorthand yeah. and, and it's totally fine. I just don't want our listeners to to uh, get, you know, yeah. Like and I'd lost. rather provide value for sure. Oh, that. absolutely. And listen, but talking Scientology and code with each other is fine. I mean, we I still do it. We all do it when we get together. It's not. It's right. it's just easier, which is the sad thing. <laughs> like, right. it's, it's just easier to go. It's fucking dev t. Oh, shut the you know what the right, fuck is right. that you know like. It's just easier to go, uh, it, it's interpolating, it's in theta, you know, OT theory, PTS, SV, you know? 
Yeah, I, I get, get more posts, I, so it's like DCOI, DCOE. Everybody's like, what? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, the <laughs> only understand. things that I would bring up about like CST that were kind of interesting was um, the level of anonymity in like in CST itself. Like we have an ex- there's a hidden org board in CST. So there's a, your normal estate. It's like an estates um, organizational mm-hmm. board, and so there's mm-hmm. kind of like technology estates are set up a little differently in the Scientology org board. So it's like an estates org board, not a delivery. Um, but even in that, there's a secret three A, which is external, which are mm-hmm. all the external bases. So nobody even in CST really knew for a long time about the external bases. They just thought it was all happening at Lake Arrowhead. Right. So that's kind of the levels of yes. I didn't know about it for the first three or four months wow. until I got put on post as the estate sec, and then they're like, "Oh, by the way, <laughs> right, like right, four more big projects going on." You're like, what? "Right, right, yeah, it's wild, yeah, <laughs> right," and you were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, right. Dylan, thank you so much for um, telling talking to us, and also we're gonna put up your interview with with Tony Ortega as well, and Mike. If you can put up those pictures of the symbols so people know what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. And I'll put there, there is now drone footage that has been taken of all these properties. And I will put links to all of that. Yeah. I gave Tony all that. I gave Tony all the info because he had no clue about what. So he sent them all to me and I explained everything to him. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I do have one question that you guys might want to like recently. So the way I understand CST, the way it was set up was that. Like you mentioned it a little bit, Mike. ASI, we had direct contact with because of Norman Starkey. Right. But RTC, we were not, my understanding, and when you came, was you explained it with the inspections and everybody had to kind of wash each other's hand to make sure they're above board. But I remember explicitly not crossing channels. And recently, Tony did do an article that kind of piqued my interest where there's a lot of videos on David Miscavige's personal site, right? DavidMiscavige.org or whatever. Right. And two of these videos are from Tom Vorm and Tom Willis. And they're like, David Miscavige was daily like mentoring me on how to do I understand. And so it, it's, to me, it was like, did the, my first thought was that he wouldn't be that stupid to do that. But I mean, I, maybe I'm giving more credit, but I'm thinking something changed once the um, tax exemption happened that they are able to might, like kind of cross over more freely. Um, so that just might be something. Yes, yeah, certainly a lot changed with the tax exemption because now there's not really any oversight. But this has happened before, Dylan, um, where people have. Uh, done and said things in order to to puff up Miscavige that are actually incredibly damaging. There was a whole series of of declarations that people in in Church of Scientology International, all the leaders, wrote about Miscavige when the St. Pete Times were doing that series called mm-hmm. the Truth Rundown, and they all mm-hmm. say. Oh, he's intimately involved in this. He's in. He does this. He's he's like uh, 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 he's with us every moment of the day. He's catching the birds that are falling out of the trees and nurturing them back to good health and blah 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 blah. I would just be a miserable pile. Nothing would ever happen (laughs) if he wasn't here and blah blah blah. 
And then subsequently, when a lawsuit gets filed, particularly the Rathbun lawsuit, where they allege that Miscavige was controlling the activities of those people who were down there harassing them, suddenly Mm -hmm. he says, I don't have anything to do with anything. I'm Mm -hmm. just RTC and I don't run Scientology. So this stuff happens routinely, but it's a matter of having people smart enough or who understand it well enough to like pick it out and go, whoa, wait a minute. There's something really wrong here. Like Mm -hmm. you look at Tom Vorman, Tom Willis and go, the hell are these guys doing saying that? Everybody else just sort of looks at it and goes, oh, more people supporting the great works of, of COB who does everything in Scientology. So, but I have a question for you, Mike. Who would be interested in this, uh, as far as, uh, lo- uh, you know, a government agency? Uh, to nobody. what you're saying. Nobody. So it doesn't matter that they say Dave Miscavige is in charge of everything, and then it, it doesn't matter that these that these places are using tax exemption tax exempt money literally to waste. It, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't, well, it doesn't matter if. If anybody manages to serve David Miscavige in a civil lawsuit, it will matter a fuck of a lot mm-hmm. because he will try again to claim he doesn't have anything to do with anything that is being alleged in this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. He lives of the life of a, a monk who has mm-hmm. nothing to do with the day-to-day operations of Scientology. That's when it will matter. Mm. And where would they find these things that you're talking about, Mike? People saying that David Miscavige has his <laughs> on his in own it. website, <laughs> on the davidmiscavige.org website. That's oh. what's so. That's what was such an outpoint. I was like, oh my god, there's no way that they should be cr-. like. Tom Willis is sitting there, basically saying, "Mr. Miscavige is instrumental in daily activity." It's like, like that's supposed to not be even. Our whole, like, right. that's why our weekly report was so confidential. Nobody was supposed to know that we were sending everything we did every week with to, captions to him directly. David right. So it was just an out point. I was just like, holy crap. Like, that just doesn't seem. And it was like Sea Org Reserves is what paid for most of the buildings on CST, but it's the policy. Once they figure out that you're breaking the law, make sure you're the ones making the laws. So I think that's right. what he's operating off of, right? Is yep. He's that how holier than thou. It's that megalomania of like nobody's gonna catch me, and by the time they do, I'll have more lawyers in place to trump them over here. Right. But it's an interesting outpoint. Um, yes. There's also an LA address for CST, by the way, um, that they use quite a bit. And that's there. Also, when you called LA, that's I've always wanted to tell you this. Um, when you called to talk to Shelley, there's an exchange at Big Blue that puts every phone call. From like a you call CST, it goes to LA and then it exchanges up to the main base and everything goes through that gate. All phone lines go through that main gate. There's no direct mm-hmm. phone lines into CST. It's all through the main gate and then they get transferred to where you need to be. So it's right. just set up for extra security as well. Sure. You, and so then it again, can seem like you're calling there, but you're really calling LA. Right. Oh, right. And you're, there's no access to even 911 at these bases. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. No, it's all yeah. through it. Through the, yeah. Through the. Yeah. Well, Dylan, thank you again for talking to us. We appreciate your time and your story. And um, until next time, we thank you for all for listening. Thanks. Bye, Mikey. Bye, Dylan. Bye. Bye.